Good afternoon, my friends, and welcome to a special presentation of Cowboy State Politics. On May 20th, Wyoming Secretary of State Chuck Gray held a town hall in Buffalo, Wyoming. What follows is the full and unabridged audio of that event. You can listen to all of the episodes of the program at CowboyStatePolitics.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, our special presentation. Here's Wyoming Secretary of State Chuck Gray. Well, thank you, Laura. I appreciate you. And I wouldn't be here without uh, your help. There's so much work that was done in this room for our campaign and for the conservative movement across the board over that pivotal three months last year across Sheridan and Johnson counties, which we carried with very high majorities, myself and Harriet. And I, I want to thank you uh, for, for all of that work. And I view it as a trust. I mean, these first five months, I've really tried to hit the ground running, not just in delivering talk, letters, pieces of paper. I mean, whenever you read the paper, they just love printing the insiders, the letter they sent or the the policy statement they wrote. They never do anything. And, and when we talk about Wyoming politics, the central tension there, the central tension, and I know most in this room are pros at this, is, is three, a coalition of three groups, which are the insiders, which many people call them rhinos. I call them insiders. I use that word because that, when you come down to Cheyenne, that is really what they are. They, they sort of, there's a lobbying class that funds their campaigns, and then in turn they fund Wyoming state government at very lavish levels that benefits those lobbyists, and they all hang out together, they socialize together, and, and so that's why I call them insiders, and I know there's a lot of different terms that are out there. I appreciate Dave's term, red coats, I appreciate Rhino, but I, I do think the best one, you know, a lot of people say uniparty. I, I think the best one is insider because I think that's the one that's most accurate. So that's what I, I tend to use. Um, although I appreciate, you know, you got to keep things interesting. So everybody kind of has their own, their own angle on it. So you got the, the insiders, you've got the Democrats, which of course in Wyoming, there aren't many that have a D. Hey, Cindy, how's it going? There aren't, great, great, thanks for being here. There aren't many uh, that have a D after their name, but there's more at the national level that, that you know, Democrats and the Congress there, but, but they pack a punch. Even though there are only seven in the entire state legislature, they exhibit a lot of influence, Chris Rothfuss, those guys, and they defeat a lot of good bills. And then you have the media, which is, I would say the most powerful of the three, and they are working in concert always to prevent our goals, to make sure that the most liberal candidate that they can get through gets elected. And that's what the conservative grassroots, which I know you all are coming out here on a Saturday and, and um, knowing most of you, and I look forward to getting to know you, that, that's what we're up against. We really hit the ground running the day after election day we started a transition. Our transition team was Joe Rabino, who became our counsel, and uh, that's he, he's done a lot of great work. Jesse Rabino is his wife. She's the head of the Freedom Caucus. And when I was looking whether to run for re-election for the state house last year, we were talking about starting the Freedom Caucus. And then when Ed Buchanan decided not to run again, kind of turned that over to John, and we had set it up so Jesse was going to kind of 
move into that realm. And so it was perfect to have Joe, who's an attorney, as well as Jesse, kind of come in as our, as our counsel. And one of the things I wanted to do is use that position. Previously, it was not a formal counsel, legal counsel. I wanted to use that position to try to separate us from the attorney general's office, who had put out a lot of bad rulings on election integrity issues and is hired at the pleasure of the governor. We're one of four states that has an attorney general that is served solely at the pleasure of the governor. So I wanted to try to bifurcate us a little from, from them. So I brought in a formal counsel, which the secretary of state previously didn't have. Then Jesse Naiman was on our transition team. He's uh, the deputy now. And then we also had Kerry Drost, who's the chairman of the Weston County Republican Party, and Nancy McCann, who is a conservative from Cheyenne. And we got to work right away on legislative priorities because our swearing in on January 2nd was five days before the legislative session. And having been as a legislator for six years before becoming Secretary of State, that general session is really when you have an opportunity to bring through key legislation. And our number one priority was to end crossover voting. And we started that and, and, and it was a high degree of difficulty. This wasn't something that, if you look on the legislative website since the year 2000, I mean, this had been tried almost every year, every year that I was a legislator, which is since 2017. And we, we said, this is gonna be our number one, our number one priority. One of the first things we did was decide to try to bring it through the House this year rather than the Senate. They, you know, Bo had tried to bring it through the Senate a bunch of times. And I, I thought that strategy, just having observed it as a House member, was flawed for a variety of reasons. So called Jeremy Haroldson, who's a legislator out of Wheatland, friend of mine. He's the vice chairman of the Freedom Caucus. He actually stays with me now, uh, you know, when, when because I have a house now in Cheyenne. The statute actually requires me to have moved to Cheyenne, which was interesting. And the way it's worded, it actually says that you have to live in Cheyenne city limits. So that was, you know, I had to purchase a house in a, in a time frame, which was, so we got that done in the, in the session. And Jeremy, Jeremy uh, stayed there and, and asked him to run that bill as the vice chairman of the Freedom Caucus. And, and he agreed to do that. And we, we brought it through the House on a 51 to 9 vote, which I thought was fascinating, right? Because a lot of the folks that you wouldn't expect to vote for, for it voted for it at the last moment. Usually that means that there is some sort of understanding that the other chamber is going to kill the bill when the insiders all come in and you have a lopsided vote like that. But I was very happy about that margin. And of course, the Senate has a joint corporations committee that has three votes that we're never gonna vote for it. So I, that's what happened to the Senate version. It got killed in committee by one vote. And in, they're out of five, you know, you only need three no votes over in the Senate to, to defeat a bill. So when the House version came over, we, we kind of had a plan to if it got referred to committee for us to bring it directly to the floor. And of course it was, the Senate president referred it within 30 minutes of it being sent over to that committee. But we were able to then with that maneuver, that motion to bring it directly to the floor, even though it failed, uh, Larry Hicks, we were on the phone with him, he agreed to do it, right? Made that motion and it failed by, I think it was seven, it, it passed, I believe 1713. Then we had it on the floor in the second, second body, 
which is when things got really interesting because they were freaking out at that point. Their plan had kind of failed. And so they come up with this narrative that the way the bill is worded, that it would prevent an individual that turned 18 from being able to affiliate in the primary after the date of lockout, which we have a very strong lockout period in this, in this bill. It's the day before the beginning of the filing period, which is about May 15th, meaning about 90 days. And that's about as strong, and it, it, you, you compare us with other states that have closed primaries, that's about as strong as you're gonna get that's gonna pass judicial muster. And we, we, we had that argument that the insiders were bringing that, well, this is gonna prevent a new voter from being able to affiliate. And you read this bill, that's not what it says. I mean, this was, this was sort of a, a made up out of thin air, in my opinion, and the clerks agreed with us, and I don't always agree with the clerks, but the clerks agreed with us. They passed this amendment to change the bill in the Senate, which means it has to go over to the House again, which we were very concerned that it wouldn't come out of the House. So we said, no, we've got to reverse this amendment and on third reading, we brought an amendment to delete the amendment that passed in second reading and it passed by two votes. So, yes. I just want you to get an idea. I know you're the hardcore, okay? I know most of you and, and you're coming out on Saturday. I want you to know that we got this done, but it was, it, it took, there was a long process and I'm not done yet. So we had, we had now the identical version to the house, okay? So that means there's no concurrence vote. It can't get, it doesn't have to go back over because it's the identical thing that they passed in the House of Origin. So now it goes to the governor. And it's fascinating because just like over in the House, the people that, that amendment that I was talking about earlier, it passed by two votes to fix the bill. But then the final passage was by, it was overwhelming. So when they saw the writing was on the wall, they just said, okay, we'll pass it, which is good. Anyway, it gets to the governor. He has, we were very careful on the timing on this thing. We didn't want them to adjourn, which resets the clock. If, if we adjourn, then he gets 15 days to make a decision. We said, no, we're gonna, we're gonna give him the three days that he's allocated in the Constitution if they're in sessions. That's why we're trying to speed this thing up. So he had three days to make a decision. I get a call on, on the evening of, of day two. I told him, I had met with, them on a slip meeting, I said, you know, Mark, if there's any questions on the legal aspects of this, they're making some wacky arguments, get a hold of me. Okay, let's talk about it. Because I, I didn't want him to veto it. Well then the on day two, at about five PM, he has about twenty-seven hours to make a decision. I get this call from somebody saying that this thing is in trouble. <laughs> so we brought in Joe Rubino, our counsel, and to call Drew Perkins, who's now his chief of staff, and he said, yeah, we have some questions about whether this, it goes back to what this narrative that had been brought in the Senate that somehow this was gonna prevent a new voter from affiliating, which was totally wrong. So he says, well, we have some questions on this, and, and the clerks are, have concerns. Well, I called the clerks, they said, no, we don't have any concerns. We agree with you on this. So eventually he says, well, come in and we're going to meet with the attorney general tomorrow, which is the day the governor has to make a decision, and we're going to hash this out. 
So I immediately called Joe Urbino, our counsel, and I said, we've got to write a memo. We've got to have our arguments down pat on this issue. And, and so Joe, and I told him, you know, we, we worked through the outline. I said, you've got to write the memo of a lifetime here. <laughs> he, he's up till 2, 3 a.m., and I'm getting the different versions, and we were collaborating on research with all of our, you know, Jesse Naiman, our other attorney, and uh, myself. I like to think I'm an attorney, but I'm not. Um, so we were all doing research on it and helping on the drafting, and Joe's a pretty good drafter. But then at 2 a.m., we get this pretty close to final version of this memo for our, for our 9 a.m. meeting. We go down there, and they have two members of the attorney general's office that are just – they have nothing written. And I'm a, I'm a written learn, I'm a written guy. If you're going to make an argument about something legally, write it down. If you're going to try to engineer a veto, write it down. I mean, this is a very important issue. They're coming up with all this verbal, you know, and, and of course, and this was one of Joe's concerns, but I kind of told him, hey, we got to move forward with our plan. He's like, well, if we write it down, they're going to come up with some new thing in the meeting. I understand, but we got we to go at them hard. And that's what they did. They were, they were circulating. I mean, we, we obliterated their arguments. And then they were coming up with new stuff. And it wasn't even making sense. And then about an hour and a half in, and at some points it did get pretty heated, uh, they, he said, you know, Drew said, well, okay. I mean, and, and they seemed to change their mind. The tone changed the last 10 minutes of the meeting. So we go back up. We're debriefing, venting. We sit there all day, and I asked Mark, you know, could you communicate what you're going to do? And, but then 6 p.m. it comes in that he's not going to veto the bill. He's going to allow it to become law. So a ban on crossover voting became the law of the land. And we were able to get that across the finish line. And I think that is a good moment for our state. And I understand people say, well, a lot of the Democrats have already crossed over. A lot of them have, but not all of them. A lot of them cannot stand being a Republican for more than a day. A lot of them would switch back on the way out. Yeah, and it's true. I, I, I'm not saying it's going to totally change results, but I think it's three to four points of people at least that will not want to change affiliation that early or, will, or you know, won't, won't do it. And then May 15th will pass. They've crossed back. And, and so I think it's going to – it's a voter integrity issue ultimately to have a closed primary because that primary is the members of that party communicating who they want to represent that party in the general election. The second thing that was a key priority of us when we got in, and it's the first thing I asked Joe Rubino, our counsel, to do. Ed Buchanan had reversed 20 years of practice in refusing to release what's called the voter ID number on the voter registry list and then absentee status, mm -hmm. which is very important for candidates, but also for in the election integrity community, making sure there's not double voting across jurisdictional lines because that voter ID number is assigned to everybody whenever and it follows people when they vote if they register in another state, if they move, if they change county of registration. So that voter ID number is important in terms of preventing double voting. We looked at the statute as one of the first things I did was ask our council to review the statute. We came to the conclusion that while it was 
somewhat ambiguous. If you look at the legislative history, it's clear that, that the brunt of the evidence was that this should be released. And then we also asked the legislature, after reversing what Ed did, to codify, to put into state law clearly the practice, our interpretation. And we were able to get that done. So not only did we change that policy, we, we put it in statute, in state law. So, you know, I'm not going to be there forever. And who knows what the next one does. So we'll, we'll, uh, it's very clear in state law now, so we don't, we don't have that happening in the future. And transparency in the voter rolls and voter roll hygiene, that's what I'm calling it now. I was at a conference. The media attacked me for going to the Heritage Foundation. I mean, they said it was a, uh, what did they call it? Uh, what's the term they use? They, they say. It was like right wing. Right wing, the election, Heritage right Foundation. Wing yeah, election denier. Yeah, that's that's the one. Sorry. Uh, it just amazes me. I mean, Heritage. I love Heritage. Okay, and, but it's not considered. You know, it's a mainstream conservative organization. Okay. So so anyway, they they had a whole presentation on voter list hygiene. I love that. I love that line. You know, like you brush your teeth twice a day. You clean the voter rolls twice a day. You know, I got to come up with a better, better line, but that's what we're calling it: voter list hygiene. Uh, we're working on a number of things on making sure that death records are processed more quickly, so those those records are removed, and also that that when people move, we have an NCOA check, at, you know, a national change of address check, um, so that that people are registered in their correct jurisdiction. So we're working on that, on that voter list hygiene. That's an area where we've rated pretty low in election integrity metrics and an area I'm hoping we move up in. Voter ID. Did you see the media has refused to cover it? Charles Pelkey, who I served with in the legislature for four years, he brought, when, when we passed voter ID in 2021, had worked on that a lot, was the lead on that bill, brought it through, and then he files this lawsuit saying that it violates the state constitution. It's incredible. I mean, as if, I mean, I, I have a perfect view when I come into my office, and please, when you're in Cheyenne, my number's 251-1372. Please call me, and I'll, I want to take you around the Capitol and sit down with you. I have a perfect view of the room where the constitution was signed. And the absurdity, like this other argument they're, they're bringing that we can't have an eyeball examination of the ballot because it violates the Constitution. They had a hand count of the ballots. There was no other way to do it then. How does that violate the plain meaning of the Constitution? This is the absurdity of the arguments that they bring, and they just repeat it over and over. They dumb down people with the education system because they... They need to have a way of, you know, if they repeat it enough times, they want people to believe it. And how do you do that? You prevent people from having critical thinking. And, and that's, I think, part of the strategy on the education system. Anyway, that's a little bit of a different, different deal. But we brought through the voter ID bill. Charles Pelkey filed this lawsuit, and it was dismissed in, in district court. We uh, put out a statement on it. Media hasn't done much coverage on it, but, but the idea... You see the same thing with the pro-life bill. We'll talk about that later, that challenge. I mean, they just, everything is unconstitutional in their world. And then in the meantime, they're constantly violating the Constitution. They accuse us of what they're guilty of. But one of my goals is to strengthen voter ID, 
to apply it to absentee ballots. And then one of the loopholes that we were able to fix in this session, and the intent of the bill was that all voting with an in-person nexus would require a voter ID, an identification. And the clerks interpreted that an absentee vote that was initiated in person would not require a voter ID, which was not the intent of the legislation. It was a loophole that was exploited. Albany County, I got a lot of calls from poll watchers from the GOP down there on it. And so we brought a bill through Chris Knapp, it's House Bill 279, to clear up that loophole. We also had bills to apply voter ID to absentee ballots. Unfortunately, those failed. I'd say my medium term, I always have short term goals, medium term goals, and long term goals. I'd say a medium term goal, which is like two to three years, is to have absentee ballots, voter ID applied to absentee ballots, and I think that's important. But in the meantime, we were able to clear up that loophole, so all in person voting would require a voter ID. There were a number of bills that we defeated that were important. One, there were attacks on the party. They tried to pass a bill to prevent the party from filling vacancies. They're upset with the Schrader vacancy. They're upset with the SOS vacancy last year that conservatives actually have a role in this vacancy process. And they never said anything. When Gordon was appointed treasurer, when Barrasso was appointed senator, you just go down the line. When, when Buchanan was appointed SOS, they had no issue with it when the insiders were in control. But now as soon as the conservatives get control of the state party, they say, well, what's going on with these vacancies being filled? It's only been in place for three decades, and, and when it advantaged us, we said nothing. But now we need to reverse this because it's wrong. And we were able to defeat that bill, which I was a little, you know, we worked really hard on that. And I got to tell you, I was a little concerned if there was one bad bill that was going to go through. And we'll talk about the other one in a minute. I was a little worried that 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 was going to go through. But we defeated that in committee on a 3-6 vote. And we protected uh, the party in that because they're always trying to attack the, the state GOP. Another bill that we were able to stop was ranked choice voting. This ranked choice voting is a trend across the country. It's, it's, it is horrible. It takes them three weeks to count. In New York City, they had tabulation errors. It's not clear whether it was done accurately. The machines aren't even certified. And of course, you know, they talk about EAC certification as if that's the gold standard, right? But None of the ranked choice voting machines have been certified by the EAC. So they contradict themselves, and it cracks me up because when we, when we tell them this, they say, well, on the ranked choice voting, we'll just have a hand count. <laughs> it, it, the, the arguments they bring and the way they contradict themselves, and of course the media, that's why Dave's work is yep. so important, and I really appreciate what what Dave does. And I really appreciate the power of these podcasts now. I mean, I got involved politically with our radio stations that my family's owned for three decades down in Casper, and we launched a conservative talk station. I started a show there, and I don't like saying this too much, but, but the web is where it's at. I mean, I think there's a role for radio, especially when it's local. People still listen to it, but 
more and more people are, you know, I'm up here, I'm making calls on the phone, I do these audio books. Do you guys listen to these audio books? I listen to these audio books on the, on the road. I always want to try to enrich, you know, there's a lot of driving in this role, so I try to, try to learn. I'm, I'm reading this book, Rigged, by Molly Hemingway. Really good book. I met her, and she's a, a, a nice person and a really good thinker on these issues. Anyway, they want to bring through this ranked choice voting. And in New York City, it took them four weeks to count the ballots. In Alaska, it was even longer. There are tabulation errors, let alone the fact that you have 15 races with six or seven candidates each. I mean, it's going to take an hour to do the ballot. It's confusing. It is. What happens is people don't fill it out. And then, and then what happens? Once your candidate's eliminated, eliminated yeah. your ballot doesn't count. It's called ballot exhaustion. And that, the, the insiders like it, though. I mean, we've seen on Alaska. Exactly. That Kelly Shibaka. She got robbed. Yep. And that ranked choice voting system, it's a disaster. They're going to keep pushing it. Soros is injecting millions of dollars to try to bring it through ballot initiatives. They're trying to do it in Missouri. <clears throat> one good thing, the, the one side of our ballot initiative, constitutional provisions on property tax, it is not advantageous, but on this kind of thing it is, you know, because it, and on marijuana, things like that, it's just, it, it is difficult to get. And maybe we'll talk about that a little later on the property tax wars and what I think the strategy is there and how we, bring things through that are good on that. But we were able to stop the ranked choice voting, which I think was very positive. We stopped it in committee. The other thing that we were able to stop was House Bill 6, which if it had passed, it would have prevented any eyeball examination of the ballot ever. It, it, it would have been very clear in statute. And I know right now this, they, the, these county attorneys have said, well, a hand count is not allowed. I disagree with that. And I think that as citizen groups come forward in the next year or the cycle after to ask for CVRs on the race that is currently, you know, unfortunately they, with the retention records, the 2020 race has been destroyed, but 2022 is there. And our office interprets that statute differently from how Ed did. Now, the county attorneys are still in place, but ultimately this is something that I, I think with the clerks, some of the commissioners on board, we might be able to get a pilot in the future on having an eyeball examination of the ballots, but it never would have happened if House Bill 6 passed. And, it, and they're bringing also this outrageous argument that it's unconstitutional to have an eyeball examination of the ballot. We were talking about that earlier. How would they have counted the ballots in 1894? I mean, it, it just, there was no other way. So clearly it was constitutional, at least if you have a originalist mindset, which I think is the only way to have constitutional interpretation. And I was very worried that bill was going to go through, but we were able to defeat it, which still puts us in a position where we can have this pilot in the future. Other bills we were able to get through. Reducing the early voting period from 45 to 28 days. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah. And, and we were tied for the highest in the nation in terms of our early voting period. We're still in the top 20, term, or bottom 20, how I look at it, 
I, I think that you should have in-person voting should be extremely favored. You should need to have an excuse if you're going to vote absentee. And obviously the military, you know, that's that's a separate issue. The UACAVA voters uh, that that should be allowed. But and that will remain 45 days. That's federal law. And that's one of the reasons why they made that excuse when they changed it in 2014 is they said, well, we need to align the UACAVA voting with the with the absentee, an absurd argument. Very few states do it that way, but they're, they're masters of getting their narrative, aren't they, and, and repeating it. <clears throat> but we were able uh, to bring that through, which was a good thing. And then also we put in statute this audit of the CVRs. It's about 5% of the ballots in each county, so that will be done. And I know I'm not saying that's enough, and it is of the CVR, the ballot image. But it is a 5% or so audit. In some of the rural counties, the way the formula works, it's a little lower. But in most of the population centers, certainly Sheridan County, you're looking about 5% of the ballot images being audited. Some of the other things I've been working on. So we've been focused on statutory changes that we brought through. One of the other ones that the governor did veto so I was very disappointed in was on these absentee ballot forms that remember Liz Cheney sent out yeah. impersonating yes. a county clerk yeah. and asking people to request an absentee ballot. And of course, this is a favorite of Soros and Zuck, Zuckbuck, you know, the Zuckbuck stuff, Zuckerberg, where they target the people that they think are going to be, and they're very good at this, right? They they have research done and they look at people's magazine subscriptions and internet things, internet, you know, they, they're very good at tracking people. It's scary actually. And so they, they're very good at targeting these, these and driving out turnouts in the areas that they think are going to be helpful to them. So this is a trend that I think in Wyoming is something we need to watch because if they turn, the, the raw vote totals are so low. I mean, in a primary for a house race, you're talking about 1500 votes is a common house race sometimes it gets to 2000 so i mean three to four percent which is considered nationally frankly kind of a lopsided win is 45 votes i mean if you're if you have 1500 vote total so it doesn't take much of a raw and of course in terms of switches when it's 45 you're talking about 23 switches or 22 and a half 23 22, depending on how you look at it. So the raw vote totals that it takes to swing an election, especially those state house elections, is very small. So anyway, we, we had advocated for this. Lynn Hutchings brought it over in the Senate, which would have banned these, these sort of absentee ballot forms that are very popular with Soros back groups. And they, they amended it over in the Senate to weaken it quite a bit to where it had to be a case of clear impersonation. Well, the way that read probably could have never been prosecuted, and that's why they liked it that way. So when it came over to the House, we strengthened it through the Freedom Caucus, and then all of a sudden they got all riled up after they let it through 27 to 3 or something over in the Senate. <clears throat> and... The governor, without even communicating with me, very similar crossover. Luckily, we caught that one. But on, on this one, he said that it was 
there was a last-minute amendment from the Freedom Caucus when members were off the floor. Well, you look at the video, the final vote happened right after, and there were like three members off the floor. Well, that's not our fault. And three members out of 62, that happens all the time in the legislature. We, we had a press release really countering the governor on this. And I, I will tell you, as the lieutenant governor of Wyoming, I, I work with Mark on things. I was glad he let the crossover through, but I'm very disappointed with him. This triangulating, the lack of strength. We can talk about the transgender bill. I mean, for gosh sake, sign the thing. And then he signs this letter last week saying that he's opposed to the you know boys participating in girls' sports. Well, you wrote this three-page letter saying that he called it discriminatory. And then he and then he says, "Well, I'm going to let it through." He wants it all ways. He's constantly triangulating, and I'm not a big fan of that. We need strong leadership from Wyoming's government. And, and that leads a little bit into our compliance division. You know, we've focused a lot on elections in the legislature, but there's a lot of things the Secretary of State's office does. And I've been wanting to look at each division and have conservative leadership there in each division. And one of the things we do in what's called our compliance division is we regulate stockbrokers, broker-dealers, securities advisors. <clears throat> we issued a rulemaking which would be, if allowed to become in, in place, it's the first anti-ESG act in Wyoming's history that would have the force of law. And that would say that any, we're very concerned about these broker dealers basically pushing these products on the citizens of Wyoming without transparency and backing down to the, the woke agenda and these products are not profit maximizing, which when you look in, in sort of the principles of, you know, being a stockbroker, profit maximization is supposed to be the number one deal. That's, but they're moving off that, right? They're, they're driving the social agenda to prevent coal, oil, gas, ag from being funded because they want to turn us into, gap, into vassals. I mean, they, they, want us to, they want to prevent us from reaching our full potential. That's why Silicon Valley Bank failed. I mean, they're spending so much time on pronouns and how to label the bathroom and, you know, driving capital away from any industry they don't like, which are actually industries that have pretty good margins, that suddenly they go broke. And then, you know, people act surprised, but it, it drove that Silicon Valley bank down the tubes. So this rulemaking would say that if they're going to try to sell an ESG product, they have to provide transparency every single year when they do an investment review with their client that they're not engaging in profit maximizing behavior. And our hope is that that brings to the forefront if this is happening. And if it's not, they don't have to, they don't have to disclose because they're not doing anything wrong. So that would, uh, and, and in our work on the State Loan and Investment Board, all of the five statewide electeds, the governor, secretary of state, auditor, treasurer, the superintendent of public construction sit on the State Loan and Investment Board. And while the treasurer sort of sets the tone on our investment policy, the State Loan and Investment Board ultimately approves the advisors and the policy statements. And I, I will tell you, 
This ESG is a woke clown show, and I will not approve any advisor that does not denounce ESG at a SLID meeting. And I said that in, in, in a meeting in Cowboy State Daily, which I got to tell you, of all the, the, the red star is the worst. The red star is by far the worst. The Cowboy State Daily fascinates me because it's kind of schizophrenic. It's a reflection of their editor, Jimmy Orr. Like, he, it's like a tabloid, and it's kind of brilliant. I actually do think they are catching on a little because they're, they're constantly triangulating. Um, and Kurt, who had said for four years that we were going to be agnostic on this, that we couldn't weigh in, after some of those comments, he released this statement, and after our rulemaking came out saying, look, we're not going to engage in anything with state funds. We have over $10 billion in permanent funds, and then you include the retirement accounts, we're approaching $20 billion. We're not going to do anything that's not profit maximizing. So that's, that's going to go through the slip for a final vote. It's a pretty weak statement. I'm going to have some amendments to strengthen it a little bit at the next state loan and investment board meeting on June 2nd. Anyway, that, that's something I've been working on as well in ESG. In our business division, we have a new director, Colin Crossman, who's a great guy. We're up 20% in our business division year to year in terms of our corporate filings. Of course, the media, you know, it just fascinates me. And look, Megan's fine. I have a good look. But they've had two, like, glowing, top-of-the-fold stories about Megan the last three days in the Red Star nothing on the fact that we're up 20% and they were saying in November, December that the whole thing was going to sink. It's Titanic. Everything's bad. We've got new energy. We've hired almost every single vacancy. Our vacancy rate is at like 10%. DQ's at like 30, but you know, they're always saying we're a disaster and everything. And our, and we're up 20% there. He's doing a great job. We just hired our new elections director. That was yesterday, so we're going to be introducing him at the joint corporations meeting, which is a week from Tuesday, the day after, Laramie, uh, after Memorial Day in Lander. What are we going to be focused on in the interim? Because we're, ha we're moving into the periods between sessions now, and uh, we're going to be bringing bills through the committee. One. We have to have a residency requirement in Wyoming. As you know, I know you're aficionados of the state constitution. State constitution has a provision in there that says that you need to live for a year before you're able to vote. In 1973, the state Supreme Court invalidated that. And they, in, in this meandering opinion said, well, we might be okay with like a 30-day residency requirement for a state, and then they said 10 days for a precinct, which I just think is outrageous. Well, we're gonna go for the 30 days, which unfortunately with where we are at federally, that's the most that has happened in other states that has survived federal court muster. So we're gonna get the best we can, but I hope, I know some people are gonna read that article and say, well, 30 days is nothing. Right now, we have nothing. Technically, I don't like saying this a lot, but if someone showed up and stayed in a hotel and pointed to like a newspaper clipping, well, I came here looking for a job, they could probably vote and it would be, 
very difficult to prosecute. I don't like saying it like that, but that's the reality. And you talk to the clerks and that's what they're saying as well. As long as the person didn't double vote, that's horrifying. <clears throat> we have to get this fixed and, and we're gonna try to get the strongest thing we can, but it's a huge hole. Yes, it's been there four decades, but we gotta get this done. And I think we will. We're also going to be queuing up a ban on Zuck Bucks and Soros Bucks. We tried to bring this through the legislature. Unfortunately, it wasn't referred to committee. This is the new trend. They, they, they're trying to inject, this was in 2020, and Soros injects hundreds of millions of dollars into our elections. Third, it's third party interference, really. And they said it was gonna be for masks and PPE and all that stuff. And it ended up, they ended up trying to drive turnout with ballot drop boxes. And that's another thing we're working on. Stay tuned. But we're trying to ban these Soros bucks and the Zuck bucks, this third party interference. 25 states have done it. And unfortunately, Wyoming is not one of them. It, it just goes to show you too often we are not on the cutting edge. That's why what I'm trying to work on on ESG to and, and I think it's working. All of a sudden now, we've got statements from the treasurer, we've got this rulemaking, and the governor says, well, I signed on to this letter, this anti-ESG letter. I mean, Mark, let's bring this rule through and have actually an official, something that has the force of law. And the, and the legislature has declined to act on this. So I, I'm sick of the talk. We need to start having real action. But anyway, uh, we're working on the ban on Soros bucks, the Zuck bucks, a couple other kind of uh, on the edge things that, that flaws in the statute on school board swearing in that we need to fix, a couple things on special districts. And we're hoping, this is another medium term goal for me is to get signature verification as well on the absentee ballots because that's another flaw in our election process. Uh, and then let's transition a little bit to the State Loan and Investment Board. Talked a little about on the investment side, the anti-ESG work we're doing. Uh, I voted no on a lot of, you know, a lot of the federal funds that we've gotten over the last three years, Biden injecting all this money, all paid for on the backs of future generations off debt, not paid for out, off, off any revenues. This is their favorite thing to do is just, just spend other people's money and when they don't have other people's money then they just spend the future's money. And of course we pay for it with inflation, lower standard of living, possibly hyperinflation in the future. I have really tried to direct any funds that we spend towards infrastructure. I mean a lot of these water projects, buffaloes come with a few. Those things I think are pretty are pretty good, but uh, and and they're they're projects that are going to have to get done. But these new hospital deals that don't even qualify for the federal funds. I mean, we're receiving legal advice that says they don't, and then the slip board is voting for a lot of these things before in in November and December of last year. Before I got on there, we were able to stop a lot of them. You can make the argument they're fine projects, whatever, but. It's not right. It's not right to spend the federal funds improperly. And really, I would argue that we need to move off these federal funds. So we were able to make that point in a slip meeting and it turned two other votes. It turned uh, two other votes and we were able to stop a lot of those 
a lot of those bad disbursements. But on the water projects, I mean, there's been a lot of good work there. Another thing I've worked on a lot is, is this pro-life deal. Uh, it, we're, please keep this in your prayers because we are at a pivotal moment in our state. We've worked very hard to pass these pro-life statutes, one in 2022, and then they had an update after uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned in 2023. And this is being heard, this challenge in Teton County. They're venue shopping is what they're doing. The governor should have objected to that judge hearing the case and he declined to do so which i i don't i think it's very similar to the coal export terminal litigation work that we did in 2019 i mean the attorney general's heart is not in this so i i'm trying to intervene in that case with some legislators uh, mark said it was grandstanding the governor said it was grandstanding well you know i i don't think it's grandstanding to stand for life and I told him, I mean, grandstanding's in the eye of the beholder. I think it's grandstanding when he goes to, you know, and, and uh, goes on the floor of the state house and says that, <clears throat> you know, that Washington is writing these Freedom Caucus bills. That's absurd. The Freedom Caucus is fighting the insiders in Washington and wants to work in states that have the same dynamic like Wyoming where the insiders are trying to pull the wool over our eyes and prevent conservative policy from going through. So I view that as grandstanding. So I told them, you know, grandstanding's in the eye of the beholder, so. And, but um, anyway, that, those are some of the things we've been working on. We're working very hard. Call me anytime, my number's 251-1372. And uh, we have time for some Q&A. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. This special presentation of Cowboys State Politics is brought to you by the Buffalo Wool Company. They're the purveyors of the most incredible socks that you'll ever put on your feet. They'll keep you warm in the winter and dry in the summer. Go to their website, thebuffalowoolco.com, and get you a pair of the most amazing socks that you're ever going to put on your feet. That's the Buffalo Wool Company. Gunrunner Auctions is one of the nation's leading online auction houses. For over a quarter of a century, for over a quarter of a century, Gunrunner Auctions has been offering you some of the finest firearms available for purchase. They specialize in estate firearms, so what they do is they tra first travel to the estate and appraise the firearms for the heirs, and then Scott Weber, the owner, takes the guns to his Cody auction facility where he and his team research them, sometimes getting factory letters from the Cody Museum to discover each firearm's history. Every month, beginning on the 7th, they offer 500 fine firearms for sale. These are guns that you're definitely not going to find in your local sporting goods store. So go to their website, thegunrunner.com, and find you the gun that you probably didn't even know you were looking for. And now, back to the Wyoming Secretary of State, Chuck Gray's Town Hall in Buffalo, Wyoming.
So I actually have several questions that yeah. I'd like anyone else to talk to. Um, so we were having, I was one of them involved in the crossover petitions. Um, I was told to continue to, to get signatures. Mm -hmm. Are you afraid of something or, I mean, I, well, I'm not going to tell you what to. But something that might be changing. Cheryl, change. sorry. Yeah, sorry, I interrupted no, you. No, you're right. Cheryl, uh, I, and I love Cheryl. I have a lot of respect for her support of our campaign. Uh, she had been told by the previous SOS that if there's an initiative active, that there can't be a counter initiative done at the same time. So her thinking was if they kept this active that Gail Simmons or whoever, you know, whatever Zuckerberg funded group couldn't come in and do an initiative reversing the crossover bill. But we reviewed the statute and that what she was told was not accurate. So I don't think there's really any, I'm not providing legal advice. You always tell me to say that, but uh, I don't see any reason to, it's basically moot. I mean, we have a May 15th date. That, that petition does say May 1st, so it's two weeks. On the other hand, there are a series of technical issues there that are not in the bill that passed. And those technical issues will be exploited by the left. So bottom line is the bill that passed the state legislature is very strong, and I would argue just as strong, if not stronger, than the initiative. So great work on the initiative, though. Great work. I didn't get your phone number again. Yeah, it's 251-1372. Okay. 307 area code. 251-1372. Yeah, Carly. Okay, I'll continue. Yeah. Nobody else is going um, no, to. So good. next week, corporations, elections, and uh -huh. political subdivisions yes. are meeting. Do you anticipate, because they really don't like you, uh -huh. I'm just going to say it. Uh, <laughs> um, do you anticipate any kind of action to clip your wings? I don't know. I, I always want to, we were able to stop that, and thank you for your support on that. We just have to remain vigilant. I'm hoping that they see we're working very hard. We're going to have the whole elections division there. Uh, well, actually, two of the three. We've hired uh, two of the positions, and then we just hired the chief. While he's not starting until June 12th, he's going to come to that meeting so we can introduce him. Uh, we're fully constituted here, and we're ready to go, and we're, we're already doing preparations for the election. So I'm just hoping that they don't get any wacky ideas, you're right, a lot of them don't like me. I, I hope that they can at least gain some respect for me for my work ethic, but maybe they don't, I, I don't know. Um, but we're working very hard and hopeful that it would be outrageous to do that in an election year. I mean, to, to change it, it to some other third party, serving at the pleasure of the canvassing board was the idea that was out there. To do that in an election year, that's, a very bad idea, and I I would like to think that they would never engage in it, but who knows? Yes. Um, I just know from last year, looking at my own um, voter registration at my address, there's seven people that can vote at my address, and there are only three of us that live there. Uh -huh. um, we we pointed it out to the clerk. Um, what is the timeline for getting these? Do you have a, a set, do you have stated timelines on websites or anything that we can hold our county clerks accountable for cleaning up these voter rolls? 
Well, I, I'd like you to call me on Monday and we, can, we could dig into that a little more. The, I don't and, know and if they voted. This I don't, is I don't something, know if they well, voted, but they can. Yeah. They can vote for Well, yeah, mm -hmm. we want clean voting rolls. That's right. that's yeah. a key priority. And I pointed it out to our former Ms. Adelman and all that, but I just, I wondered <clears> when, if, I know you're in charge of the clerks. I didn't know if there was a, if there were dates that certain percentages of rolls had to be cleaned or anything. What's on statute right now is that, and it's, we're the strongest in the nation on this. And this is actually, I think, in some ways led to some anomalies with our statistics. You know, Doug Frank, uh, who I've met with, and, and talked to him a little about this on why we have so much oscillation on our voter numbers. The reason, one of the reasons is, I'm not saying it's totally explained by this, but one of the reasons is that in statute, if you don't vote in the general election, you are supposed to be purged. And all the county clerks have notified me pursuant to statute that they have done that purge. So it leads to many people being removed. If you just voted in the primary, mm -hmm. you're supposed to be removed if you didn't vote in the general. Right. You have to vote in that general election. And it's not like California where <coughs> they never remove you. It, it's very clear. It's a shall. And it's one general election. So those folks should have been removed as of when we received that email about the purge. Mm -hmm. yeah. So if, if they're still there, I would want to know about it. So I'm happy to do that cross-check. Perfect. Thank so. you. <laughs> I think everyone should check. How did you find that out? <laughs> Excuse me. Oh, I was, uh, I'm a precinct person, and I was just mailing out information about myself. So I got my precinct addresses, and my address is on my precinct. And I was like... <laughs> There are only three of us living here, and there are seven people listed. It's the ghosts. <laughs> well, Miss Edelman said, well, they have to tell us they've moved. I said, I don't think that's right. I think, like you said, I knew there was some kind of automatic change of address, actual mm -hmm. change of address. Yeah. Anyway. What was the deal? Yeah, go ahead, Nick. Did you do that? Okay. So uh, you talk a lot about election, but not nearly as much about the business division. There's an address in Sherry. Uh, it's 30 North Pool, where there are thousands of LLCs. 144,000. Wow. 144,000. Registered of our, I believe it's, it's. I just looked at this, it's about 320,000 registered entities and about 144,000 are at 30 North Gould. Yep. So what, I guess my question is, like we're very proud of our business practices in the state, but it has the unintended consequence of 30 North Google, where there's a lot of nefarious, what looks to be like nefarious stuff happening. Uh, could you talk about that for a little bit? We're very concerned about 30 North Google, and we are looking at, at some aspects of 30 North Gould. Uh, we do have auditing authority, I'm not saying, uh, and, and so we are looking at, at a number of aspects and please stay tuned because it is on our radar. We just responded to a, a request about uh, 30 North Gould that had some really good points and it's been our, on our radar here the first five months. We just, we need to have a plan in place when we uh, initiate something, so, yeah. We're, we're, we're looking at it, yeah, we're looking at it. I mean, when you have 35% of the registered entities at one, one address in the entire state, that's 
That's a problem. Yeah. That's a crowded house. So is that the dream? They can do that because they're going to be a registered agent? They're a registered agent. Okay. And so they're they're allowed, in theory, an unlimited amount. But that doesn't mean those are valid. Well, heavens, no, not Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yes. Yeah, um, on that same topic, I, I'm a merchandiser, and uh -huh. one of our companies is Discover Credit Card, and I wanted that surely. Of course, it's so padlocked, you can't get in unless you know the code. But another one is 1309 Coffee and Avenue. Yes. And they are an open door lawyer's office, but they're registered agents as well. And I don't know how many they have uh, registered there, but I was sent there one time for um, the Air Force. Um, base in Germany. Wow. Ramstein. And of course, the lawyers, ladies, say, "Well, I, you know, I said I'm just here to ask about, you know, if this certain entity is interested in learning more about their Discover credit card. That's my job." Mm -hmm. And she said, "Well, we can't talk. We can't. We don't take credit cards here for any of our agents." So. Okay, fine. I'm out the door, but it's just like, what is going on? And secondly, if in fact this is illegal, which it obviously is, I had been told that we get like pennies. The state gets maybe fifty bucks for each one of those. Well, it adds up because it ends up being about sixty million we bring in our our budget, but and, and then you add in all the mutual funds and. We end up bringing in all the investment advisors that register with us. We bring in about $80 million every two years. If it's only 50 bucks, yeah. they could cut our property taxes by a heck of a lot and charge out-of-staters and out-of-country people to cover that. I mean, that's, I'm just saying, yeah. <laughs> well, the property tax deal, one of the things I do want to talk about is property tax. I mean, I. It's just talking to Mark Jennings on the way up. I mean, it, back in 2020, we saw this coming and asked to be on the revenue committee, brought a bill that would have initiated a cap, 3% cap. And the committee, you can go back and watch it. It was on YouTube at that point. They all said, well, this is just a Teton and a Trona problem. <laughs> and then we've seen the the last three years. These are the insiders. They're, they're never held to account when they're wrong, which is almost always, <laughs> almost always. Yeah. Meanwhile, if I make a little error and everybody makes mistakes, I mean, it's like, mm -hmm. yeah. Lock him up. <laughs> but anyway, it, it we've got to have that cap. I think that's a big part of the answer. And maybe we just go for a constitutional amendment because it probably would be struck down. We tried to roll that in to the amendment that they wanted which would have broken out residential, which is fine. I don't think it does that much, but it could lead to some reduction for residential. The commercial is a big loser there, and I know Cindy, um, yeah, Cindy doesn't like it. I, I'm not that big of a fan of it, but we tried to roll that into that package, and we, on the revenue committee, we swung a vote at the last, this is actually the last meeting I was a legislator at back, back in December, and got them to agree to that. And then literally within a week, they then file another constitutional amendment that has everything about the separation of the commercial and the residential. The one line it doesn't have in there is the one on the caps. And, and so 
that was really disappointing for me because I worked really hard to get that into that constitutional amendment. And whether it's acquisition value or caps or a combination of the two, whatever your approach is, that is probably going to take a constitutional amendment. The other way to go where it probably would pass constitutional scrutiny is to just have an exemption. And that was the immediate band-aid. We passed that on the Revenue Committee to exempt the first 100K, 50K, and that got killed, believe it or not, the Senate Revenue Committee by one vote, which was disappointing because I that would have lowered. Mm -hmm. would have helped. I mean, if you had a, I mean, the 300K house, that lowers your property tax 33%. I mean, granted, it gets eaten up with the increases, but that's what we wanted as the medium-term Band-Aid, and then it comes over from the house and the Senate kills it by one vote. It's disappointing. I mean, it. there were so many bills. Everybody, this is what happens at the end. It happened on voter ID, actually, which I started bringing in 2018. And then at the end, after the 2020 election, everyone wanted to get like credit for it. So they started filing all these bills. There were all these versions. <clears throat> and it just, it ruins it. Because like on property tax, there are some people that have worked out a long time. They're going to file their bills. And then all the other people, you have like 25 bills. And it, it, the insiders are very good at taking advantage of that. And then everybody sort of becomes, there's different factions on what bill you like, which one you don't. And it just kills everything. Other than the refund program, which, Mark, which they want us to believe is the solution to everything. Nobody can get no. it. I Nobody mean, it's, can, get it. it's, can you believe the media? The I mean, let's talk about the media for a second. I don't know if you saw, they dismissed, so two weeks before the election, I get a call, I'm on my way to Newcastle for an event, and everyone was saying, you're in good shape, you're in good shape. I told them, no, they'll come up with something in the last two weeks. So I get a call literally two weeks before the election, and of course, Wednesday is right there, marquee, the Red Stars, their marquee thing is Sunday and Wednesday, but Sunday is where they put the features, so usually Wednesday, if they're going to do a negative story, they usually do top of the fold, a negative news quote unquote news story, they usually do it on the Wednesday. That will not be the way anymore June 13th. Did you see there? They're moving to Tuesday, and this is this is because of their wokeness. They're moving to Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday delivery. They're gonna have they're gonna have no at-home delivery. It's all gonna be done postal. That's why they're not doing a Sunday and Wednesday edition, because it'll get there Wednesday after it's published Tuesday morning. That's what the Red Star is, and they deserve it because they're awful people. And um, <laughs> but I don't like them. Tell and us you feel anyway, Tuesday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday are moving to three days a week, and hopefully all of them do. Uh, I'm not talking about the local ones. I don't know about the Buffalo paper. Laura, Laura was talking a little about it. I don't know about them as much. I'm talking about the Red Star Tribune, Proud Down the Platte, and the Cheyenne Tribune. Okay, that's that's. And then all the others syndicate each other, so they and then why they syndicate Wildfile now, yes. which is like a Soros list or tax write-off. Yeah. Okay, at least a list or tax write-off. I'm not sure about the Soros, but um, anyway, they call me two weeks before the election and they say, "Hey, Chuck, just want to let you know. I don't know if you saw this. There was a complaint filed about uh, your federal campaign account. Did you see this? No." Because they don't, they don't, uh, I don't get a leaked version and they seal them because they know that a complaint could be weaponized like this right before an election. 
So they got this leaked from this Max Maxfield, who was a former Secretary of State. He produced this absurd thing accusing me of taking straw donations, which I would never do. Leaked it to the press. Like they say, well, I had low income during the years I was running for Congress. Yeah, because unlike them, when I don't show up to work, I don't get paid. And I'm running for office, you know? Like, so, I mean, I worked at my family's business. And by the way, they want to ridicule people that work in family business. They, they want to say that we're unqualified, uh, ridicule us, you know? And, and then, you know, my dad, if I didn't show up, he's not going to pay me. I'm, I'm unlike them. You know, they just work from home and who knows what they're doing and they get paid and they think that's the standard. But <clears throat> anyway, they said I was taking these straw donations. Totally wrong. And they, they refused to give me a copy of the complaint. And they said, oh, you have 20 minutes to respond to this. They print this on the Wednesday top of the fold. Wow. And then, of course, it was all, it was all, so then they all syndicate each other. So it's in every paper. Then Nevercott used that on a mailer. And of course, then she can cite the article, which is sort of the, the nexus for it. So then she's protected. It's all a plan to try to take down conservatives. I mean, this is the tactic they use. We see it with Nina Weber. And it was totally false. It was just dismissed this FEC complaint. And it's an example, again, of how the insiders, the Democrats, and the, uh, and the media are working together to try to stop grassroots conservatives. So please, I mean, I know there's a lot of stories out there. 75% of it, maybe even more than that, is untrue, okay? So please keep that in mind. And, and it's unbelievable what they tried to do. I mean, I, I was very concerned. I mean, our polling was spot on. We took a poll right after it. It said we were up by 10 still, and we ended up winning by nine. But I do think it affected things a little bit. You know who I think was the big winner on that was Mark Armstrong, because we had him at 5%, and he ended up at like, we had him at four, and then he ended up at nine. And so I think a lot of people just said, you know, hey, we'll just go with, we're, we're sick of the two main candidates, we'll just go with the, and I think he grew a little bit at the end. I don't think it affected our margin. I think he was the big winner from that, that whole thing. But, yeah. I know that there are a lot of states that have, have, have worked on, on the voter fraud elections and done a lot of work, a lot of grassroots stuff, and I've heard Dr. Frank multiple times. Would it help you at all if we did get to work and found some instances where there are anomalies in our voter records or voter rolls? Would that help you at all, or what can we do to help you? That's a good question. Well, look, if, if you find an instance, please bring it to my attention. Um, I, I talked with uh, Doug a couple times and it's been very cordial. You know, he, he pointed out the oscillation in our numbers and I talked to him about it. You know, hey, when we have the way, one reason it could be happening was because we purge all the people that don't vote in the general election. And I pose this to you. I, I asked Doug, I said, should we repeal that or should we amend it to make it a little bit less stringent? I would say from an election integrity perspective, that's a good thing to have that purge. You could maybe change it to not voting once across one primary in general. I would be okay with that. And I actually think with crossover, it might be a good thing for our system because what happens, the way the bill is worded, is that if you have a new registration, you can affiliate. 
So if someone doesn't vote in the general election, they drop off, then they're not on there anymore. Then they could affiliate up to the day of the election because of motor voter. We still have same day registration. You just can't switch. So there's an argument there to say that, well, especially in light of crossover, maybe we should only purge if you don't vote across the primary in general. In theory, though, that is a weakening of an election integrity statute. And, and I'm not, I don't know. I just pose that out there. That would certainly cut the amount of oscillation. And I'm not saying it's totally explained by that. One of the things I want to do is be able to audit the voter registry list to identify when someone is being removed because of not voting in the general election. And that will be able to explain whether the tremendous oscillation that Doug Frank has pointed out is totally explained by something legitimate or something not. Because then there will be a reasoning there and you'll be able to track why someone was removed. <clears throat> Anytime you see an instance of voter fraud, I mean, I get asked all the time by the media, are our elections secure? And I tell them one case of voter fraud is too much. And if you see anything, please, that's my cell. It's not going through some intermediary. And please keep it in your prayers, too, because there's a lot of forces down there that are trying to prevent us from reaching our full potential. But I tell our staff every day, I tell Joe and Jesse, we just need a three-yard run today, at least at least a three-yard run. Yeah. And you know we'll go for it on fourth and one, and we'll make it 80% of the time. And then you know once you open up the run game, right, you can start doing 20-yard passes, 25-yard passes. So I mean, I, I always try to look at the field of possibilities and have, what are our 25-yard passes? What are our longer-term things like the crossover? The ESG rule, which I consider you know, a nice 11 or 12 yard pass, I think that's a big deal. To get something on the books in the absence of legislative action, which would be official, an official anti-ESG action, I think is a big deal. <clears throat> yeah, Jan. All these things that you talked about with voting, and that's just transparency type items, and I really appreciate that you're working towards better elections that just, you know, we just can't be too careful on our elections and everybody would agree on that. I'm sure that, you know, no matter if you're a Democrat or a Republican, you want good elections and fair elections. And that's, you know, founding of our country. So I really appreciate all that hard work. And when you were leaving the legislature as, you know, watching once in a while down there or watching online, I was regretful that you were leaving legislature because of your knowledge of the budget and understanding of the money and that. But now I'm seeing, as you spoke today, how yeah. valuable the slip board work is. And yeah. I really appreciate that your brain and talent is being used in that way too. So it's not really a question, it's just a, a comment that I'm appreciative of all this hard work that you've been doing. Thank you. Thank you. That state loan and investment board is really important and, and I didn't even realize the full scope of it. I mean, the, the oversight they have over our investments is tremendous. The investment policies that come out of there. And then we haven't even talked about the state board of land commissioners. Uh, we did 
I, I did not, I, you know, I know we've got some Ranchester folks. I mean, I'm not for the, the trade that's been proposed up there. I want to make that clear. Uh, did not second the uh, motion to bring that back on the table, which would have allowed a vote on that. So we'll see whether they keep trying it. Um, I'm not for that for that trade. So bring up the State Board of Land Commissioners as well. But that slip board is really important and it hasn't gotten as much attention as it probably should. I mean, it's it's broadcast online just like the legislature. So um, it is it is an important board. And I'm glad you said that, Jan, because a lot of people were, I don't know if it upsets the word, but we're saying, hey, why are you doing this? I mean, but I don't think anything lasts forever. I mean, it was a very difficult decision for me because I was going to run, I said, we'll cap it at 10 years I do believe in, in, I know there's some disagreement here, I think at least self-imposed term limits are good, but I, when Ed dropped out one week before the end of the filing period, it was a very difficult decision because you remember, I mean, most of you were at the Republican State Convention, he was acting like he was a candidate. Yeah. He was raising money, he was speaking, and then all of a sudden he decides to go for this judgeship. And uh, we, had, we had a week, and I set a 48-hour deadline because I just knew that if we didn't make a decision, a bunch of conservative candidates were going to get in, and then we were going to split, which is the worst thing. Yes. And you know, a few people I talked to, I prayed a lot, but really it was Mark and Mark Jennings and Harriet and John Bear. I mean, the, the most difficult thing was really those three. The most difficult thing that was disappointing on it was I really wanted to start the free. I really wanted to be have the inaugural thing of the Freedom Caucus that we could start and get it rolling. Uh, I, I was worried that we weren't going to be able to, but I, I knew John and Mark that they would be able to handle it at the end of the day and, and came to that conclusion and happy about how it worked out. I think John has a lot of strengths chairing it that, you know, I, none of us have. That, and we got that, Jeanette. Yes, Jeanette. Well, and that's the other thing is Jeanette, yes. Jeanette. We got Jeanette in I'll you. never forget calling Jeanette because... Then there was the second issue, right? One was the Freedom Caucus. The second issue was, well, we don't want the position I had to go to a, an insider. So mm -hmm. there's always an advantage, right, when someone knows that someone's going to move to something else. So it's like, well, who should I call to encourage to run? And I just, you know, I, I, I've worked door to door a lot in the district I represented. My neighbors in East Casper now, they're not my neighbors, but I still call them my neighbors. I mean, so I knew a lot of people. I had like a list of 10 or 11 that I thought would be good, but I just kept coming back to Jeanette. And um, I just thought that I knew, I, my number one thing I judge when I encourage a candidate to run for office is what are the chances that they're gonna go bad? And on Jeanette, I said it was over and over again, I said it was zero percent, zero. So she was the call I made and, and I'm glad she accepted that. And um, you know, I think she, it all worked out, it was providential, because originally we wanted her to run for legislature, but then she moved into the district I represented. She was like, no, I'm, I'm not interested in, and, and that just, and, and it ended up being perfect, because, you know, it's then I had to, and I backed out, so. God works it out. Yeah. Carla. I'm sorry. <laughs> so another thing that I, this is the third state I've lived in, so sorry about that, but I love Wyoming the best. Um, but in the other two states, attorney generals were elected. Yes. And a, How do we get that the people determined who they were getting paid by. 
Um, I would like to see that happen here. I do not think that the governor needs a lackey. I'm sorry. I'm no sure matter who it is. is. I'm sorry. No matter who the governor is. That's right. So what's your opinion now that you've been in Cheyenne, and of course you're lifelong Wyoming, what is, am I all wrong? No, you're absolutely right. 2017, that first session, I brought like 12 or 13 bills that first session. We got through the ultrasound one. That was the one we got through. But one of them that has been brought every single year was, was having an elected attorney general. And other people kind of took on that mantle. It's been something that's been tried almost every year, like, like crossover had been tried before we got it through. It's difficult to bring through. What's the argument against? Yeah, that's what I wanted to <clears throat> Never that they don't have many <laughs> straw men. I mean, which is the favorite, you know, almost all the insider arguments with straw men. I mean, Unconstitutional. One, one they bring a lot is that they don't like the tension between the attorney general and governors and states that, that have elected attorney general. Well, that's what our system's built on, it can't be is tension. Everyone needs to be and nice. they're like, well, we don't want conflict. <laughs> well, it's called accountability. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's called checks and balances, too. I mean, like, so that's the number one they do. I, I think the best chance it has is probably the people who might get it, I, I hate to say, would be insiders. And I think at times people like Tara Nethercott have been intrigued by it because I think they want to run for it. But and so she's kind of gone back and forth on it over time. I don't know. It, it just has never gotten traction. It never has. It's nice to have a lackey. They don't want it. Jeff. We got radio talk shows here today. Yes. Um, yeah. governor, governor's race in 26. What do you see happening? I don't know. I mean, I try to take it a, a day at a time. I mean, there, there could be some. We just want to make sure we don't split too much. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. I mean, the rate we're on, we might end up with 10 candidates. I I don't know. I every other day I hear about a new person who's looking at it, but. Uh, I don't know, Jeff. What do you think? I think it's going to be a free-for-all. I'm hoping that a conservative candidate will come out early, get a Trump endorsement, and lead the way, and keep uh, the conservatives from splitting the vote yeah. so we don't end up with another yes. 40. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, maybe Harriet will win. Yeah. But it's also the lowest race, I think, will open up in 26. Mm. I think Barasa runs for re-election. We just got back tonight from Washington, D.C. From D.C. and we interviewed Barasa, and we're going to see uh, Lummis in a couple weeks. And the word is Barasa is definitely running for re-election. Lummis will not run in 26. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. You know, thinking about that stuff, it's it's always interesting. I mean, one thing I've learned with Ed is, you know, you never know. I mean, he just dropped out. I mean, you were raising money for him. I mean, he just dropped out all of a sudden. And, uh, One week before the deadline. Yeah. Maybe you'll, I'd be curious the whole story on that. Because I, I, it just happened all of a sudden. I don't know. But yeah, Wyoming is right on, on what is it, Kicks? 96.5? Yeah. 96.5. Yeah. Oh, does it, does it have coverage down here? Yeah. There's stations in Buffalo, Sheridan, okay. and, and Campbell. Okay. How big of a torch is it? 
100,000 watts. Okay, wow. That's good. That's good power. One more question. Yeah. I get yeah, absolutely. And I'll be here after. Um, if you could, if anyone wants to sign up to get email updates, I know everyone pitches that when they have things, and Laura's is great. And if you would, would be interested, I have a sign up right there on the left. Um, so, thank you. Okay, so let's switch gears just a little bit. Um, you, you were given some, um, some investigation of one of our um, legislators. Uh huh. And you, warned, you found and you warranted that there was enough evidence here that it needed to be uh, sent to the Attorney General, which is the subject of the last question, which obviously there's, I think everybody in this room pretty much is going to say that that thing's going to find a desk drawer and it ain't going to come out. Absolutely. Where do we go from there? What do we do? If it was you, if it was me, if it was anybody else in this room that did what the evidence shows from the investigation, we'd be, kicked out. We'd be in jail yeah. right now. And yet, these two guys are free people. And they're laughing at it. And that's what we saw the other, the other uh, we were at a meet and greet in Ranchester and that's what we saw. I'm not talking about stuff like that, that's what he said. And just kind of smiled about it. So, what is, what's the recourse? What, where, where do we get justice? Well, I mean, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the Attorney General. And we need to have an elected one. <coughs> Because I can tell you, the fact that the Attorney General, what they did on the co-export terminal litigation, they messed that up big time. And I told Mark that. I'm like, I'm not going to let you guys mess up this pro-life thing, or at least without fighting. Because when I worked on that bill, and then the governor vetoed it, and he said, well, we're going to do something. We're going to file it on our own. The legislature doesn't need to get involved. And then he waits a year. He waits until a month before we end up back in session, because he knows we're going to override the veto this time. I was planning on bringing the bill again. And... It's one of his first vetoes. He waits a year to do it. Then COVID happens, and he blames the Solicitor General for not commenting. Well, it was December of 2020. The, the, there was a trans, you know, the election had happened. And we can talk about the 2020 election and all the fraud there, especially in the swing states. But he blames the Solicitor General. I don't even know if he talked to the Solicitor General. That's not even clear to us. I know I'm going on a meandering thing here, but I'm so disappointed in this attorney general. There's some stuff that's privileged just since I've become SOS that I'm so disappointed in. And ultimately the fix here is we need to have an elected one or also the other fix is to have a, a good governor. It's gonna appoint a good attorney general. It's gonna focus on justice, protecting our state. I could go down the line. I mean, their heart is not in this pro-life statute. Why would you allow the, the Teton County judge to hear this. They could have objected to that. It's clearly venue shopping. It probably would have gone to the judge in Lander who's a lot more balanced, I think, on these issues. From what I hear from attorneys, he's one of the fairer judges on the district court uh, bench. He's a good man. And that's, oh, do you know him? Yeah. Okay. That's, uh, that's probably where it would have gone if they had done that objection, which is allowed by the rules of civil procedure. He said no. And then he acts like a there's grandstanding when someone when someone points that out. No, the media is not going to do it. The media is not going to point this stuff out. So it's it's a pinch, it, contingent upon us as as the conservative grassroots to do it. 
Is this issue part of the Gould? No, this is referring to the Cyrus Western complaint. Yeah. And we referred that to the Attorney General. Yeah. We, we worked very hard on, on, on investigating that. You know, it goes back to 2022. Uh, it was referred to the Sheridan County Attorney. There was a lot of great investigation from uh, Deputy Hill. Boots. Boots. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good name. <laughs> I've never met him. I've never met him. So ultimately, the venue was not correct anymore. It had been referred by Ed in, in a way, and it's not their fault. They, it ultimately spurred the investigation that led to the. So we referred it properly based on the facts on the ground, uh, and that, that's what triggered that letter. And uh, as we do with all complaints, we want a clear communication from the Attorney General as to the status on those complaints. And they have largely declined so far to provide status on any complaint, which I think is very unfortunate. I mean, I think that the statute is very clear that that referral happens, and, and I do think there should be a communication there. So it's just another example of the Attorney General and their, uh, what I would view as, as problematic behavior. So do they feel any pressure at all to do the right thing? I don't know. No. I don't know. I don't know what drives them. I can't get in people's heads, you know, especially, I, you know, you, when you're driving, you try to think about what's going on in people's heads and you can speculate, but uh, with them, I mean, I go back to that meeting on the crossover bill. I, I've never seen anything like that. An attorney, attorney's trying to in, engineer a veto without any written on 10 hours before the decision has to be made. I mean, it, it's just, I think, creating this argument that, that we're going to lead to all this chaos with nothing and, and they're moving all over the place, I, I couldn't believe it. So. Thanks well, for working so hard. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here.